Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everybody and welcome into the Rocky Dob Rewind every Sunday night at 8 o'clock VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Appreciate you guys for joining us here today. We got a lot to talk about. Tennessee got back on the winning side of things in shutout fashion. 56 to nothing over Vanderbilt finishing the regular season. 10-2, first 10-win regular season since 2003. I'm Eric Kane. That man is Brent Hubbs. At 8-15 we'll be joined by on threes Mike Huguenin. Awesome Price will join us at 8.45, and we got a loaded show to get into. A $10 for a VolQuest.com subscription until kickoff 2023. $10 until August 2023, right before kickoff. Take advantage of this deal over at VolQuest.com. And as always, like and subscribe to the VolQuest channel on YouTube. Brent, Tennessee, what a response. Uh, it's not going to erase what happened in Columbia. It's not going to erase what happened in allowing 63 points to South Carolina and not getting to the college football playoff. But uh, a really good response from the defense, from Tennessee with the backup quarterback. It was a good night in Nashville in the rain for Tennessee. Yeah, that's what you have to do. I mean, that's what good programs do. Uh, they bounce back after tough losses and, and and you know, games that you gave away and all those types of things. And, and Tennessee did exactly that. And everybody wondered all week long about what the response from this team would be. Where was this team mentally? Uh, with all the outside distractions and noises and all those things that were out there, uh, Eric and um, Tennessee responded well. They got off to the fast start, and then uh, they broke Vanderbilt's spirit um, early in that third quarter, and then it was a cakewalk from that point on. So um, a lot of leadership maturity showed by Tennessee and um, a lot of competitive juices in there. So uh, I, I think that was good for Tennessee. Again, I, I said this last night on the, the postgame mini-pod, this was not a crosswalk game or a crossroads game. I, I, I never wanted to call it that, to that act like, you know, something was up with Josh Heupel if he didn't win this game. That was an important win for Josh Heupel last night yeah. in, in his program because that's the first time they've kind of been under that kind of pressure, right? Everything's been house money to that point. Um, you know, if you win, great. And and they've beaten the teams they were supposed to beat. South Carolina's the first team that, that had, they had not gotten that done. And, and so it was important for this program to respond the right way, and they did. Yeah, I think it was really imp impressive in a number of areas. The, the response, I mean, again, it would be so easy just to lay down. It would be so easy to be disinterested. It's Vanderbilt. You got pummeled the week before. You're not going to the football playoffs. Uh, your starting quarterback is not playing. Two of your top wideouts are not playing. Your starting left tackle is not playing. Uh, defensively, your two starting cornerbacks are not playing. Your starting safety is not playing. Um, your backup at left tackle went out early. Your starting left guard went out early. Tennessee found a way. Um, Joe Milton was not fantastic. You see an overthrow right there. He missed on some down-the-field shots, um, but he could, he did connect early. And this is something that you pointed out in your 10 things I think I learned over at VolQuest.com. 
Tennessee took the ball to get going, tried to get Joe Milton going a little bit, setting up with some easy throws, had the long completion. And, and then, of course, that just kind of settled them down a little bit in order to kind of get this offense on, on the right path. I think that was big. And then, of course, the run game was big for him in the second half where Tennessee ignited four runs of 52, 50, 83, and 80. You couple that in with a punt return from D. Williams. And then defensively, of course, you pitch a shutout. Uh, I thought Roman Harrison played phenomenal football. I thought Wesley Walker played really good at the safety position. This was a total team effort, again, where I thought it would be really easy to be disinterested. Tennessee was anything but disinterested on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I mean, I think that they did a lot of things right. Um, I think they pushed the right buttons. I think Hendon Hooker being there was important for uh, Joe Milton. I think it was important for Hendon Hooker to be there and, and obviously shows you the investment levels there. Vanderbilt was a great opponent for Tennessee to play. Um, I thought Vanderbilt's game plan was was atrocious early in that game. I have no idea what they were doing, not running the quarterback. It's the best thing he does um, in, in Mike Wright. I mean, he, he just – I mean, his legs are his most important asset and because uh, he can't throw it very well, and they didn't run him early. Um, I guess they didn't watch the Missouri tape to see what Brady Cook did against Tennessee. I, I thought they would test Tennessee more with the zone read stuff. They didn't. Uh, they went a little more traditional with the run game, and they got behind the sticks, and it got Tennessee's confidence going. And then uh, Tennessee broke their will, and Vanderbilt uh, wanted no part of that thing late third quarter, early fourth quarter. So, um you know, a, a good win for Tennessee. They didn't beat a great opponent, uh, but they took care of business. And, again, I think that's growth and maturity. Um, that's what you're supposed to do when you're coming off the disappointment. Uh, and, and there was plenty of disappointment. So, um, you know, still 10 and ten and 2 is there's nothing to be ashamed or disappointed about that. That's not what anybody really expected this year. A lot of people thought eight, nine wins, including myself, was sort of the threshold. Tennessee goes 10 and 2. They won a couple of games. Um that they weren't supposed to win and they lost one that they, you know, that, and they lost one they weren't supposed to lose. And, and that's, that's the world of college football. And that's what makes the month of November such an interesting month when you have the pressure of the playoff on there. Our guy, John Hill chimes in with the super chats. You guys are always more than welcome to send us some super chats and John really, really appreciate you tuning in to the Rocky top rewind and hanging out with us here tonight. John wants to know, Hey, how many practices does Milton get with the first string to get his deep pass on time? Who might be healthy by the bowl game, uh, Brent? In terms of timing, with with you know the throws and everything, I, I'm not a quarterback. You're not a quarterback, but this is something that Joe Milton has struggled with, dating back to last season. And there were a couple of different combinations last night. I know that Romel Keaton dropped one down the sideline. Squirrel White was held up at the line of scrimmage on one of those, and that's why Josh Heupel was a little a little frustrated on the sideline. But nonetheless. This is something that Joe Milton has struggled with and more than just reps and repetitions and all that. In, in your best opinion, how does this kind of get fixed? Well, I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is he's actually thrown that ball pretty good uh, for, for the for the most part. I mean, um, before last night's game, he was 9 of 13 on throws of, of 20 yards or more where the ball travels 20 yards or more in the air. That's a pretty good – it's a pretty good percentage um last night the weather was tough um you, you're amped up I mean I think the biggest thing Joe has to do is, is just just keep himself under control and, and give 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 a receiver a chance to make a play put a little more air under the ball um particularly when a guy's wide open give him a chance to go make the play there uh can he fix it 
I mean, he can get better at it, no question. And, and I think that'll be the focal point of over the next month in bowl practice of doing that. I think we've all gotten a little spoiled by how good Hendon Hooker's been at it, particularly this year. Uh, but but Joe's got to, you know, he's got to give his receivers a better chance, you know, and, and he's got to back it off a little bit. He's got to get a little more air under it at times. Uh, in terms of how many that he gets during practice, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're not running those guys on, you know, 50 takeoffs a, a practice to wear them out. So, you know, that's a little bit challenging with your timing that way. I mean, but it, it, they, they practiced it enough where he should hit some of those shots more than more than he hit last night, even though the weather was bad. I think he was one of eight. He was 0 for 5 to the right. Didn't throw one to the left. He was 0 of 5 to the right on, on throws of 20 yards or, or more last night. As for his second question in the Super Chat there, uh, in terms of health, I mean, Cooper Mays is going to be fine. Um, I think they'll get Mincy back. I think they'll get Crawford back. Carbon should be fine. I think Turnage is going to be back. Flowers should be out of that cast. Um, so, I, you know, when you've got a month to get ready, they're going to get a lot of guys well. I think the question everybody's going to ask is, is anybody opting out, right? Um, is anybody going in the portal and done with their team? And is everybody eligible academically at the end of the semester? Those are kind of the bigger questions more so than health. They're obviously not going to get Warren Burrell back. They're not going to get Taven Jackson back this year, and they're not going to get Hendon Hooker back this year. I think other guys are going to be available. Brew McCoy should be fine. Cedric Tillman should be healthy. Is Cedric Tillman going to play in a bowl game? Um, I don't know that he will. So we'll see what happens over the course of the next few weeks with that. Yeah, that's something that now you have to kind of be paying attention to in this era of football. You, you go in, you see, all right, who were some potential transfer portal candidates? Who were some potential you know, opting out to prepare for the NFL draft candidates. Alante Taylor was one of those last year. Hey, it turned out well for him. He was a second-round pick, and he's having a really good year with the New Orleans Saints. So, of course, we're going to track that all at ballquest.com over the next couple of weeks. Uh, something I want to bring up, and you mentioned this in your 10 things, I think, uh, I learned over ballquest.com. You've got a season-high 362 yards on the ground. Uh, Josh Heupel's team actually ran for more at Missouri last year, like 450, if you remember that debacle. But a really good game on the ground. Uh, Jalen Wright had two runs of 50-plus. Fantastic. Dylan Sampson had a run of 80-plus. Jabari Small had a run of 52 yards. Uh, so that helped out Joe Milton a lot. But the musical chairs up front, I think a big, um, you know, big props seem to be given out to guys like Dane Davis, Ollie Lane, Jackson Lampley, who came in. Those first two, Lane and Dane Davis, played pretty much three quarters at left tackle and at left guard. Jackson Lampley came in and played a lot of, at right guard as well. Those guys came in and performed well, and they were the lead and the and the, the kickout blocks for a couple of those big runs that went for so many yards. Yeah, they, they really pulled a lot in the second half, and, and that, that's something they adjusted, I guess, with Dane Davis kind of running behind Darnell Wright but pulling Dane or pulling Ollie Lane um th that way and it served them very well and uh they, they did a good job there um I, you know I, ollie lane's played guard um some that he's played guard his whole career I, I i was really impressed with what dane davis did and, and i don't think dane played great okay I, I don't mean that but i don't know that dane's played left tackle this year if he is it's only been just a handful of snaps because typically when he's got in the game eric it's been to replace darnell Wright at right tackle and mop-up mm -hmm. duty because it's been Mincy and Crawford on the other side at left. I don't know how many actual game snaps. I'd have to go back and look uh, and, and rewatch all those games to see how many actual game snaps Dane Davis got at left tackle before last night. And he was comfortable there. And uh, they played to his strengths. They did some good things with him. And, and he was ready to go in, in some nasty weather conditions after basically not playing 
uh, most of the year. And so I, I was just impressed with all those guys. But really, uh, I was really impressed with Dane Davis because I don't think he's gotten much work at that left tackle spot. And left tackle is significantly different than, than right tackle. Now, they didn't throw it a lot in the second half. Uh, but when he went in there early in the game, they were still throwing some. They didn't give up a sack. And, and I thought he was solid. We got another super chat here from Mike. Mike, really appreciate the support of the show. Uh, Brent, he wants to know, given the off-the-field issues, does Banks return no or yes? Uh, speaking on Jeremy Banks, I would assume. Uh, if you have anything to add, please jump in. I do not expect Jeremy Banks to uh, to, to, to be back for next football season. Um, I, I think last night was his last game in Orange, and I thought he looked really good. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the bowl game with him, um, yeah. you know, or not. But I, I don't – I don't, I don't anticipate him being back next year. Um, I, you know, I guess crazier things that have, have happened. So I don't, there's nothing definitive there, but it certainly doesn't feel like he's going to return, uh, for, for another year at Tennessee. Look at the defense. You give up 63 points a week ago. And I understand, you know, Marcus Satterfield had a good game plan. He, he did well. Uh, Spencer Rattler couldn't miss. Uh, but I thought Tennessee's defensive line played extremely well. When I went back and rewatched, I, I thought Latrell Bumpus had, He's had a sneaky good year. He's been here about a decade. He played well last night. You know, batted down a fourth down pass. Good penetration. Tyree West is a guy that, you know, most people remember his performance last night on that touchdown run as being a lead blocker, but he had a sack. I thought he played well. Um, I, I thought the defense just responded in a major way up front, and then I thought we saw something at safety, Brent, that we really haven't seen in the last couple of years. Saw a guy that was instinctive in Wesley Walker, knew what was coming, and went and made some plays. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. He was not perfect. But I like seeing Wesley Walker playing safety, and I think uh, a lot of the people watching right now would agree with me. Yeah, I mean, he was downhill, uh, you know. And, again, it was a little easier to play in the secondary last night because you weren't worried about yep. the ball getting thrown over your head um, because they weren't playing their passing quarterback and they decided not to run their running quarterback. Um, you know, they, they, they kind of turned that into a youth football game at one point. It was like, hey, we're going to go – we're going to go – blue number three which is a left call with, the, with that running back and then we're going to go to the right I mean there wasn't a lot of creativity there from Vanderbilt particularly early in that game uh but no I, I thought Walls uh, or Walker excuse me did a really good job particularly on the jet sweep if you go back and watch that just his eyes were in the right place his reaction to what was coming how he adjusted to, to the motion that was taking place there to put himself in a position to make play uh, and, and get downhill quickly. I, I, I liked what, what Wesley did. I, I really did. I, and I think that um, he probably should have played more this season in a rotation back there than what he's played. Uh, but I, I liked what he did. I think he can really play that position for Tim Banks in this defense and, and be a really good player for Tennessee uh, moving forward. In terms of defensive line, I just thought they got back to being vertical. I mean, they, they got back to, to, to staying in their gaps, winning at the line of scrimmage and getting vertical in the backfield and you saw that with all the TFLs that they had last night, um, but they didn't get moved out of gaps. You know, they, they didn't they didn't kind of lose their mind in their pass rush and create a bunch of lanes for the quarterback. They they misplayed off the edge a couple of times. The, the zone read, particularly one uh, uh, one stood out to me. Joshua Josephs missed it pretty bad, and and he got yeah. pulled out of the game for it. They jumped off sides three times, which was not very good, um, but they missed a couple of those but overall that they were really good last night and um kind of got kind of got their mojo back a little bit and and again um that's an opponent that had found some things in the run game and tennessee gave them nothing in the run game last night and uh, put themselves in a, in a good position moving forward they got some help in the college football playoff world which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show 
Um, gives Tennessee plenty to play for moving forward. And, and and I think for this team, getting to 10 wins was a big deal. Yes, they were hugely disappointed in the South Carolina loss. They're disappointed in the Georgia loss. But to, to get to 10 wins, you know, because all those seniors have talked about leaving it better than they found it. You get yeah. to 10 wins from where it was when Latrell Bumpus got here and some of those other seniors that when Jeremy Banks, some of those guys when they got here, that they're leaving this program in a lot better shape than they got it when they arrived here. Let's talk some uh, college football bowl season here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick 60, but on the other side, we return Mike Huguenin of On3, the executive editor of College Sports Writer, again at On3. He will join us when we come back right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. I'm Eric Kane. He's Brent Hubs, and uh, really appreciate you guys coming and hanging out with us here uh, today. I uh, want to speak on some bowl projections and some other games around the college football landscape, and to do that, we want to bring on our friend from On3, Mike Huguenin. He's the executive editor, college sports writer, again, over at On3. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Mike, when you look at Tennessee and kind of what happened yesterday with uh, some of the losses in front, particularly Clemson and, and some other things, and depending on where Penn State is in those rankings, wh what does it look like in terms of Tennessee as a New Year's Six Bowl game, Orange Bowl, or Cotton Bowl? I think Orange Bowl is far more likely than, than Cotton. Um, yeah, the idea that you guys – I heard you guys in the lead-in talking about the kind of season Tennessee's had. I think if you would ask Balls fans before the season – uh, 10 and two, most of the year you're in the college football playoff discussion and a guaranteed New Year's six game. Uh, every single one would have signed up for it. Uh, I think the only unfortunate aspect is that uh, Hendon Hooker, well, I don't think he would have played. In the, uh, he, he's obviously, I don't think he would have played in the bowl game anyway, but I, I think the Orange Bowl uh, against an ACC team is, is most likely, and it's going to be the ACC champ. Will that be North Carolina or Clemson? Both those teams severely flawed. Um, Tennessee, even without Hendon Hooker, can beat either one of those teams. Mike, it's interesting. Uh, there's all this discussion about expanding the playoffs, and for financial purposes, I guess we'll we'll eventually get there. But you look at what's happened the last two or three weeks in college football with the arrival of the college football rankings. It feels like the last three weeks have been a playoff deal. Um, that that's got to be intriguing to to college football and to some people out there who are not sure they want a 12 game or 12 team deal because it takes away some of the intrigue of the last three weeks. There's a lot of people around the country watching teams. They normally don't watch because it has a bearing on their team, which, you know, it's making November interesting when it's typically not been very interesting before the playoff system came in place. Right. I agree. A hundred percent. 
Um, and the last two weeks lacked huge marquee games. Yes, there were a handful each week, but there still were vastly important games because of potential playoff ramifications, potential bowl ramifications. If it had been a 12-team playoff this year, you know, the Oregon State beating Oregon would have been a gigantic impact. Uh, LSU losing to Texas A&M, gigantic impact. So, um, you know, will, will the number 12 ever win a national title? No. But the point is, I think that the it makes far more teams relevant in November, and it makes far more teams relevant in the postseason. As it is now, you got four teams in the playoff, and let's get serious: no bowl means anything. Um, and when it, when it goes to a twelve-team playoff, no bowl is going to mean anything. But you're still going to have twelve teams instead of four, and that to me is a, is a positive. Mike, when you look at the playoff, and, and this doesn't affect Tennessee, obviously, but when you look at it, how far does Ohio State fall? Um, is USC a lock for the four on Tuesday, in your opinion, with Ohio State at a five? What, what is that What is that going to look like, you think, in the top four come Tuesday? Yeah, I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. Uh, I think uh, Ohio State the, – the Big Ten has three good teams. Uh, and two of those three pounded team number three, Penn State. Uh, uh, the West Division is bad. Um, the West Division basically is like the higher ACC. It's a bunch of teams that are okay, but no, nothing great. So I, I think Ohio State losing in the manner in which they did at home to a Michigan team missing its best player. Blake Corm had two carries in the first quarter, never was seen again. Ohio State still loses by 22 points. So uh, I think the Buckeyes fall to five. I think SC is going to be four, and I think Tennessee is going to be six. I think Tennessee belongs ahead of Alabama. They played. They won. They also pounded an LSU team that beat Alabama, and I get the fact that the loss to South Carolina wasn't a good one, but I, I think that South Carolina beating Clemson actually, that, that helped Tennessee's cause as well. But, but I think that USC is going to be four, and if they went out, they're going to be in the playoff in Lincoln Ross first year. So, so you think Tennessee's going to leapfrog Alabama this week in the playoff rankings? Yeah. I, I know Tennessee beat a Vanderbilt team that wasn't very good. Alabama beat an Auburn team that's not very good. But at some point, head-to-head matchups need to matter. And, and Tennessee I won. I know it was a last-play field goal. I know it was a high-scoring game in Knoxville. But, again, I think if you, if you look at what Tennessee did to LSU in Baton Rouge – an LSU team that beat Alabama. So I think that should carry more weight than it did last week. And I also think, again, I think if you look at Tennessee's loss to South Carolina in a vacuum, that was embarrassing. But then South Carolina turns around and beats Clemson. So I think the the loss to South Carolina Carolina now isn't as bad. Um, and again, I, the the main reason I had Tennessee at Alabama is the teams played. Tennessee won. Hey, Mike, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on with us here on the Rocky Top Rewind, giving us your expertise. And we'll be sure to follow all of your work on college football. You're talking about they had two narrow losses. What's their best win? 
Ole Miss. Well, Ole Miss has lost yeah, four games. All that stuff over so, on three. Um, Mike, yeah, yeah. appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we had some technical difficulties there with Mike. Sorry about that, guys, but good stuff there from Mike. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mike Huguenin. That's just his name, and he does some great work over at On3. So, That's Brent, great. big takeaways. Uh, Mike believes that Tennessee will jump Alabama in the college football playoffs. Do you think that's going to happen on Tuesday night? Well, I don't – I mean, I understand his point, and, and he's right. I, I think head-to-head -head matchups should count at some point. I'm not sure why it didn't count last week. Um you know, maybe it was just punishment for how bad Tennessee got beat against South Carolina. But if Tennessee jumps in front of Alabama, then that changes your bowl outlook. Then that, that brings the Sugar Bowl very much into play. Uh, Tennessee would be slated for the Sugar Bowl at, at that point, uh, un unless Georgia got upset in the SEC championship game by LSU, I guess. Um, so Tennessee could be looking at maybe a Tennessee-Texas matchup in the Sugar Bowl potentially. Um, or a Tennessee-Kansas State matchup in the Sugar Bowl as opposed to Tennessee and Clemson or Tennessee and North Carolina. If Tennessee plays North Carolina in the Orange Bowl, um, they're going to be a lot of points scored because North Carolina, can, North Carolina can't stop anybody but, but May can throw it. And, um, you know, that they can move the ball up and down the field. So, you know, I think if under Mike's scenario there, Orange Bowl being the worst case, Tennessee gets a matchup that's going to be very attractive to Tennessee fans. No offense to Tulane or – uh, whoever is out of the group of five, that's not the most appealing for, for fans of the Power Five schools. So uh, I, I think if Tennessee could land in the sugar or the orange, then um, Tennessee fans would travel in mass to both of those venues to see those matchups. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan, you want to be in the sugar bowl, and I understand that. I think the orange bowl is super appealing because a team you could potentially score off against would be Dabo Swinney Clemson, who fell to South Carolina. And, of course, we all know the comments that Dabo made in regards to Tennessee last week. So I think that would be a real fun matchup. Plus, Clemson's got a good defense normally, and uh, I think that would be a really good showdown. But, uh, Brent, it seems like at this point, you know, Cotton Bowl is kind of in the rearview mirror. It's still a possibility, but really it's it's Orange is the probably the favorites and, and maybe even a sliver of uh, a Sugar Bowl in there. feels like those two are more of the, of the potentials than a Cotton Bowl. And, of course, with the win on Saturday, Citrus Bowl is completely out. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to ultimately end up being the orange. And, and, and Tilly makes a good point. You know, where does Tennessee drop uh, w without Hendon Hooker? You know, what, what does Tennessee look like in the committee's eyes w without Hendon Hooker? Um, you know, does, do they leapfrog Alabama with that? So I, I think that's a good point that Tilly makes. And um, we'll never know exactly what the committee thinks of that. But they obviously, with the loss and the loss of Hooker last week, Tennessee took a hard fall in the playoff. I just have a hard time with the committee saying last week Tennessee was behind Alabama. Both teams won games they were supposed to win, and now Tennessee is going to leap back in front of Alabama. Um, that seems unlikely to me, which is why I think Tennessee ultimately ends up in the Orange Bowl. Do you think with Tennessee, with the committee and the playoff rankings and everything, I mean, they, they take into account in terms of Tennessee still being out of the college football playoff picture, but – you know, as, as Tilly pointed out, there's no hidden hooker leading this offense. It is now Joe Milton. Uh, so for potential New Year's Six Bowl matchups, whether it be Orange or Cotton or whatever, how much weight will that carry in your opinion? Uh, will, yeah. it, will it carry some? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't affect anything. And here's the deal. And I think this is the one thing everybody should remember when it comes to the, to the playoff committee. It's 13 people getting in a room, talking about it, and making these decisions. It's not a computer. You're not plugging in a bunch of numbers and it's spitting out something to you. 
there's a human, there's a humanistic side to that. So in that room of 13 people, does their opinion of Tennessee change because the, the nation's number one offense doesn't have the guy who's pulled the trigger for him at the quarterback position all year long. Right. I mean, let, let, let's, let's face it. I mean, there were people who were talking last week that Tennessee couldn't cover because they didn't have Hendon Hooker. So their opinion about not the committee, but people in general, their opinions about Tennessee change. So what is the, you know, they can have all of the parameters they want, but Eric, at the end of the day, it's still a, it's still your, your human emotion and your human opinion on things mm-hmm. um, when it gets down to, to, to kind of the, the finite splitting hairs, if you will. Again, I, I think Tennessee should get credit for beating Alabama. I think Austin said this in the postgame mini-pot. I think Tennessee's resume is better than Alabama's. I think they've done more than Alabama has done. Yet Alabama was still ahead of Tennessee last week after the loss. So I just don't know that they jump. I don't know what the committee – will do or, or think about what Tennessee is now without Hendon Hooker. It's not supposed to be a whole lot of difference and change, but look, let's be real. I mean, it, it, it changes things, right? I mean, what's your opinion of Alabama if they don't have Bryce Young playing quarterback? Yeah, it, it's, you know? it's not nearly as high. I mean, right. you know. and, and so I think those things um, are just the human side of stuff that, that comes that comes through in those meetings. And there's no way to get away from the human element of it, which they don't want to get away from it. Um, when they try to pick, pick those you know, top four teams. And the question is, how much effort do they put in you know, those teams outside the top four, right? Do they spend a whole mm-hmm. lot of time talking about them, or are they going to spend their whole time on the top four? And really, the top four doesn't have a whole lot going on this week, right? I mean, you got Ohio State's going to fall down. USC's going to slide up. That's a natural. If USC wins in the Pac-12 championship game, they should stay in it. And Ohio State should be out of it, I think, when you look at this. Because USC will have won three ranked opponents, beat three good teams down the stretch here. They're going to get a lot of credit for that. And Ohio State got beat handily on their home field by a Michigan team that was shorthanded. Before we grab another 60, I want to grab a, a question here. Brad and, and Wes both kind of alluded to this. We were talking about quarterbacks and Hendon Hooker, Joe Milton. Uh, will Tennessee look to the transfer portal? Um, you know, Just to look for another quarterback. I don't think it'd be a decision based on what happened yesterday with Joe Milton. Again, Rain is a big issue, but Brian, I've heard you mention this a couple of times. I just don't think, and I agree with you, if I'm a quarterback in the portal, why would I want to go to Tennessee? You have Joe Milton who's coming back. He's been in college for you know five years already. You have Nico who is coming in. How attractive is Tennessee, you know, to coming back into the or to, to want to come from the portal to Tennessee unless you just know where your role is going to be? It's going to be for depth. Yeah, I mean, you know, Joe Milton's getting ready to be his third year in the system. Okay, and, and that's a huge advantage um, to anybody coming in to compete with him. They're bringing in a guy in Nico who's uh, obviously been talked about a lot. Everybody knows who he is. He is the heir apparent, um, you know, the the appointed one, if you will. And, and so I, I just don't think it's attractive for, for a guy who could come in and play. Could it be attractive to a guy who wants to come in and be a part of the SEC for a year and hang out from a, a lower-level school? Maybe. But I don't think you're going to get anybody that's going to come in and really challenge and compete for a job and, and push Milton or Nico. Um, Nico's going to be here in the spring, so those two guys are going to duke it out and compete there. Um, so I, I just I don't I would be stunned if if a quality quarterback had interest in coming to Tennessee. And we'll see what happens with with Taven Jackson too. You know, I yeah. mean, what's he going to do? He doesn't have anything on tape. Probably needs to go through spring practice to to get some tape out there. 
if, if he doesn't want to come back, but I think he'll be here to compete. So when somebody looks at Tennessee's roster, they're going to see Joe Milton, Taven Jackson, and they're going to see Nico coming in. I don't think that appeals to someone looking at the transfer portal going, hey, this is where I want to go. Hendon Hooker came to Tennessee. Tennessee didn't have a quarterback, right? I mean, he looked yeah. at that as a golden opportunity to come in and play because Tennessee had no one established at that point. That's not the case at, at right now. I, I get it. Joe didn't play great last night, okay? It was not great weather conditions. Um, you know, Hendon's missed some deep balls too, but Joe missed a lot. I mean, a lot of wide open guys. He overthrew them. And everybody flashed back to what he did a year ago and went, okay, it's Pittsburgh revisited. Joe's got to fix that if he's going to be the starting quarterback at Tennessee moving forward. We got plenty more to discuss, more on Tennessee's win at Vanderbilt yesterday, more of your questions. So go ahead and fill up the uh, the comment section if you want to get in on the show and we'll answer your questions. We'll talk recruiting and more bowl projections with Austin Price. That's coming up at 845. We got plenty more left, 30 minutes left here on the Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind, VolQuest.com, and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like this video, which the goal is always to get to 500 likes. That way it can be seen by more Tennessee fans. And as always, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hey, we got $10 for a VolQuest.com subscription until kickoff 2023. $10 until 2023. That is a really, really good deal. So text your buddies, tell your family, your friends, all that about this deal, $10 for one year over at VolQuest.com. Uh, Brent, kind of a bigger question. As we transition from the regular season, there's still another football game to be played, and you know we'll cover that. We'll talk about whatever bowl Tennessee's in and the opponent and all that type of stuff. That'll be fun. But you're transitioning now from a regular season into those off-season topics of you know transfer portal, signing day, coaching changes, all that type of stuff. So kind of a bigger question here. When you look at Josh Heupel's offense, something you and I like to discuss re-watching the game each and every Sunday, I feel like this year we really saw more and more and more more wrinkles and evolution of this offense to where, and I'm sure there was some of that last year to an extent, but I don't remember that much from last year in year one in the system. So I've, I've really enjoyed seeing that from Alex Golish and Josh Heupel from an offensive standpoint this season. The more reps you get, the more you know tenure guys in the system, the more you can do. And it's not just high tempo, high octane. It's really creative. And when you have players go and execute that, it's it's a whole lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think they've put a new wrinkle in every week and done some different things every week. And they've adjusted on the fly. Uh, again, I mean, we've seen them pull some guys this year on the offensive line in the run game, Eric, but not a ton. We haven't seen a ton of tackle pulls. That was an in-game tweak that they made last night that paid great dividends for them in the run game so 
Um, I, I think Alex Golish has done a nice job adding some wrinkles with the tight end. They've schematically done some things to get guys wide open. Um, last night they didn't have to do that to get guys wide open. I mean, Joe yeah. Milton just missed them or, or the receiver got held or what, whatever the case may be. But Vanderbilt could not run with Tennessee's wide receivers last night. And that was very obvious from the second play from scrimmage. Uh, so they didn't have to do a whole lot of creative things last night. And when they got the run game going, it was, it was over. Uh, but no, I, I think there's no doubt that they've continued to grow. And, and the one thing I like about Alex Golish and Josh Heupel, um, particularly Golish, and I think Golish has been a, a benefit to Josh Heupel in this regard. It's not just, hey, this is our system. This is what we do. They spend time every offseason uh, really diving into what they do, but then going and looking at some other things that other teams do and try to incorporate that. You know, the, the tight end stuff. Uh, is something that uh, Alex Golish has brought more and more into this offense with, with Josh Heupel. But they'll spend a whole lot of time looking at a lot of other teams uh, around the country and some NFL teams around the country um, in the offseason, looking at different wrinkles and things they can add, things they feel like fits what they do, what they do uh, that could be a benefit to them. And uh, I think that's exciting, and I think that's fun. I think that's why Tennessee fans – uh, are excited about where Josh Heupel and, and this offense is going right now. Yeah, Vols over one says Tennessee's run game last night lights out, almost three tailbacks over 100 yards. It was a season out 362 yards on the ground, uh, four touchdown runs of 52, 50, 83, and 80. That was a whole lot of fun to watch. Hey, Trey, put that picture back on there of Alex Golish. Um, it, it's, it's really unique when – Staffs are able to stay together for as as many periods of the time. You know, there was only one assistant coaching change to the staff last year, and we can't predict the future or anything, but there are future head coaches on the staff. This man, Alex Golish, being another one. Um, it, it should should we be on the lookout for Alex Golish potentially entertaining offers as early as this offseason? Because if that question's posed to me, I would probably say yes. That doesn't mean he's leaving, but this is a guy that's going to be a head coach here pretty soon. Well, I mean, I think he will look at anything that's out there. I think the question is what's going to be out there. Colorado seems to be going in a different direction at this point. Now, we'll see if they – I don't know that Deion Sanders is going to take that job, um, but we'll see where Colorado wants to go. Um, you know, and I don't know that they would hire Alex Golish. You know, is he ready mm -hmm. for a Power 5 job? I'm, I'm not sure the answer to that at, at this point. Um If Willie Fritz leaves Tulane and goes to Georgia Tech, as a lot of people are speculating – Tulane is not a bad job, okay? They're, they're, they're established, and they have some things there. Who would be on their list? South Florida is open. I'm not sure how good of a job South Florida is. Um, and Tennessee's smartly paying Alex Golish a lot of money. Um, and so I think Alex Golish has um, goals to be a head coach, but I also think that he understands you got to go into a winning situation. Remember, he's been in the MAC Conference, and the MAC Conference yeah. is interesting because – there are some Mac jobs that are really good jobs. And then there are some Mac jobs that are really bad jobs where you, where you just don't have this, the, the chance for success to win there because of their commitment finances, all of those things. And Alex Golish has been in that world. So he understands the value of going into a winning situation. Cause if your first head coaching job is not a winnable situation, a lot of guys don't get a second head coaching opportunity. Right. And so I think because of that, Alex Golish is smart enough, um, and I know he's smart enough, but he's, he's got enough experience under his belt to know I don't, just don't need to take a job to take a job. He's being compensated well at Tennessee. His family loves it in East Tennessee. 
So, yes, he wants to be a head coach, but I don't think he's going to take necessarily the first job unless it's just a really good situation. Balls over one wants to know about recruiting. What's it look like? Did the South Carolina kill the South Carolina loss kill Tennessee in recruiting? We're going to have Austin Price on here in about 10 minutes and or about five minutes and he can go in further detail. But, you know, no recruits making a decision on Tennessee for or against based off one game. This year as a whole has been really good for Tennessee. Oh, the hay was already in the barn uh, for Tennessee heading into the season. But, hey, David Hobbs committed to the class on Friday. That was massive. But you're already seeing the the building blocks of that 24 class already being built because of some of the success from this year. So uh, we'll point towards Austin Price and ask him some more on that. And David Hobbs here in just about five minutes. Brent, kind of like on the offense, I just ask about defensively. I mean, it was suspect all year long. I understand that. Stats don't look good. Pass defense doesn't look good. Had a pretty good couple performances. Really good against Kentucky. Really good against LSU. Obviously great against Vanderbilt. And they did some things at Pittsburgh. I think this defense and areas did improve from one year to the next. Defensive line, playing a lot of guys. I think that linebacker group, though it has limitations, it got so much better this year. I think Tennessee's defense under Tim Banks is at its best when it's aggressive, but I have seen strides taken at points and times of season. Now they got a long way to go. There's no doubt about it. What have you kind of seen big picture wise from this defense this year outside of just the humiliation that was at South Carolina? I think in the secondary, the goal remains where it's been. They've got to get more athletic. They've got to get faster in the secondary. Um, That's the first thing that has to happen at at all positions in the secondary. I, I think they've got to continue to upgrade there. Uh, this defense is at its best when they can get to the quarterback. We've talked about that. Five sacks against LSU. That was a really good defensive day. Five sacks against Kentucky. That was a really good defensive day. They had three sacks last night um, against Vanderbilt. So you got 13 sacks in your three biggest wins. I shouldn't say biggest wins. In your three best defensive performances. Let me reiterate that. Um, Throw in the Pittsburgh game as well where where you had pressure. I think they had three sacks in that game. Um, so that, that's the key to this defense right now is they have got to be able to get to the quarterback. They've got to continue to find ways to get to the quarterback where they don't have to blitz all the time, which means, you know, the James Pierce's of the world have to really take a step forward. Um, Joshua Josephs, those guys are young. It's not like they've had bad seasons by any means, but those guys have to become really good, really good edge guys. I don't think Byron Young's had a great year, um, not rushing the passer. He's got some pressures, but he hasn't gotten home enough. Uh, as a pass rusher compared to what I expected him to be this year. Uh, So, you know, they've got to continue to be able to get to the quarterback with four as opposed to bringing everybody. And then to me, they've just got to get more athletic in the secondary, be quicker and faster in the secondary than they have been the first two years. Mike says, hey, I wish UT would press coverage and blitz a little bit more throughout the course of a football game. 100%. I agree with you there, especially in games to where you're giving up so much already, like a South Carolina, like a, uh, like an Alabama, like a Florida at time, just, just switch something up. But kind of what you were just saying, Brent, about being more athletic, being more decisive, being more quick. I mean, if you're not any of those things, it's hard to go up and play press man coverage on, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage, uh, because again, you're, you're really just leaving everybody else out to dry. Now, if you had more of a pass rush, it would help those guys in zone a little bit more. But again, that's something Tennessee struggled with uh, at points of times this year. So I just think, you know, moving forward offseason, year three, you know, defense under Josh Heupel and, and this staff, it's being more, having more variations in what you want to do, mixing things up, a little bit more in-game adjustments. But 
100%, I do agree with you. You've got to get more athletic in the back end because I've seen improvements in the first two layers. Not I've seen some improvements in, in individuals at points in times, but as a group, it's it's not been probably where you want it to be right now. No, and I think one of the hard things about blitzing all the time, one, you got to be creative. you got to be exotic yep. with some stuff. I like the delayed blitz they've shown the last couple of games. Beasley about got home and, and disrupted the throw last night. He had a sack. And I'll say that too, line. Brent. Sorry to cut you off. I mean, a lot of that is, you know, Beasley's guy or Banks' guy or whatever's that running back. You're going to hug him up. He's saying in the pass protect, you go and blitz, peeling off and adding another layer of the blitz. And that's something that they've recognized a little quicker this year. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, you got to be a little bit, you got to be a little bit more exotic. But it's hard to do with athletic quarterbacks, right? That's why you need guys off the edge who can disrupt things you know, who can force the guy to step up in the pocket. And, you know, I, I thought Roman Harrison had a nice night last night, okay? And, and again, I understand yep. the level of competition. But he played a smart football game last night. He didn't just just drop his head and sprint to some spot and, and run past the quarterback five or six yards. He played kind of even level with the quarterback. And, and as a result, he peeled back and got a, a couple of sacks in that game. They just have to have more off the edge to rush the quarterback so they don't have to blitz all the time and gives them some creativity in the back end, and they've got to get more athletic back there. Those are the two keys, right? Get to the quarterback off the edge and get more athletic in the back end, and your defensive numbers will change, I think, significantly moving forward. Hey, quickly, before we get to Austin Price, a question I've already been asked today, and I know we don't have all the answers to them right now, but this has been kind of a, a rule that's changed over the over the years. Tennessee, after the early signing period, will will have an opportunity to have some players come in and practice for bowl practice. Um, any chances on who some of those players or any knowledge on who some of those players might be at this point? And I would imagine the 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 big portion of the guys who will sign early, there'll be some exceptions through and there, but they're going to be getting in as early enrollees to go ahead and start their college career and and be here for spring practice. Yeah, I mean, I think for bowl practice, they could have as many as, as a dozen in, in yeah. town for bowl practice. I think that's overblown personally. But I, I mean, look, those guys maybe see what a practice is like and there's a little acclimation there. But I, I just I, I don't think that that carries that much juice in terms of, wow, you can learn a lot about a guy um, th that way. Uh, but but it gives them a little bit of an acclimation period. And then, all, then you know, the bulk of this class is going to be here in the spring and uh, gives them an opportunity to go and, and go forward. Nico will be here for bowl practice. Jordan Matthews is going to be up here for bowl practice. Um, there'll be a bunch more of those midterm guys who, who roll in for bowl practice for a few days, and then we'll come back in January. You can't play in the bowl game, but but they'll go mm -hmm. through, and you can't go to the bowl site. Um, you can go and, and we're in, you know, here. So there'll be guys in for four or five days to go through some workout stuff and practice stuff just to kind of figure out what it is and see what it is, and, and then, you know, go about their business, you know, go home for Christmas and watch the bowl game on TV and then play in an all-star game if they're going to play in an all-star game and then be here for the start of, of the spring semester. Remember this, spring semester starts later at Tennessee than it used to. So instead of those guys being here right after the first of the year, it'll be the middle of January before they move in and, and get here because of the way the academic calendar is different now at Tennessee. Yeah, Justin Williams-Thomas, Jordan Phillips, Tyree West, some of those guys that came in early, got a few practices under their belt last year, and then, of course, came back for the spring semester. We'll talk more recruiting. We'll get Austin Price's thoughts on Tennessee Vanderbilt, uh, the David Hobbs commitment, all that and more when the Rocky Top Rewind returns here in 60 seconds.
Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. 15 minutes to go. Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. And now let's welcome on our cohort, Austin Price. Austin, you uh, sat right next to me in that press box. You watched Tennessee defeat Vanderbilt 56 to nothing. Your big takeaways from that game where Tennessee finishes the regular season off 10 and 2. Don't remind me, I had to sit beside you in the press box. Um, yeah, buddy. Uh, you know, I mean, finished it off in style, bounced back defensively, uh, made plays. I thought they left some plays out there defensively. I thought they could have, you know, got a couple more turnovers. Uh, Jeremy Banks dropped a couple of opportunities to get a pick. Um, you know, uh, offensively, Tennessee did what they needed to do in the run game. Uh, Joe Milton was efficient, uh, good, not great. Um, but, you know, can they build on that heading into a New Year's Six Bowl game that right now I think would be uh, – pegged for the Orange Bowl, and, uh, you know, who knows? There's opportunities there if, you know, Alabama slipped into the backside of the college football playoff. I think that's a small opportunity, but it's a small chance, but it could happen if that happened. Then Tennessee would be uh, to the Sugar Bowl. But, uh, you know, this is a, a team that, you know, was, you know, had a lot of people talking about it this past week and negative connotations, and all they did was block out the noise and go out there and take care of business uh, handily against the Vanderbilt team that uh, just not very good. Yeah, let me let's hear from Josh uh, Heupel. I meant to play this earlier in the show. This is Josh Heupel. He he made reference to this in the post game press conference uh, last night about some of the outside noise, questioning the culture, everything that was going on inside the locker room. This is Josh Heupel moments after Tennessee defeated Vanderbilt by a score of fifty six to nothing. Been a lot of uh, of talk uh, outside of our program, um, you know, just from from different people about what the culture is inside of our locker room. Man. And, and uh, when I got here two years ago. Um, nobody thought we'd win 10 uh, by this point, um, but there were 30-plus kids that, that left this program. This group chose to stay, and uh, they bought into to me. They bought into our staff. They bought into the, the culture, the connection uh, inside of uh, our locker room, what we're going to build inside of our program, and they built it, and they only did that by working hard, uh, competing together, uh, and then competing for one another. And, uh, you know, we've been, been far from, from perfect, and uh, that starts with me. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, this group loves one another, and uh, that's why um, you know we've turned this program in the right direction. And, and uh, the future is bright, and uh, I'll go to, go to battle with these guys any day, anywhere. Yeah, so that was Josh Heupel again, kind of addressing some of the stuff, saying, hey, I've heard it. I know what's been talked about, but uh, he seemed to kind of you know dismiss any of that last night after that win also. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I think that ultimately Coach Heupel doesn't want to get into – what happens inside the confines of the locker room, that's kind of a, you know, an unwritten rule. But at the same time, I think he wanted to kind of squash, you know, what he could, especially with that performance last night. The, the idea that there was infighting, that, you know, um, there was all that nonsense out there, broken jaws, and they mailed it in because it was retribution for Jeremy Banks not being able to play and all that stuff that was out there. And so um, I think it boils down to Tennessee's defense just uh, – had that uh, mess of the day in, in Columbia. And I think the fact that South Carolina backed it up with, you know, especially Spencer Rattler with 350 yards with a win on the road uh, at Clemson is never going to make up in Columbia, but it, it did soften it a fraction. It's not like he went back and threw for 62 yards and South Carolina got one score. Like, you know, South Carolina went on the road and they've not won in a while. Um, over at uh, over at Death Valley, so you know you're never going to forget. You're never going to get over you know what happened in Columbia, but uh, you know again, tennis 
two and going to go to a New Year's Six bowl game. And every Tennessee fan on the earth would have signed up for that, uh, you know, before the season started. And I said this on the podcast afterwards, and I still think it to be true. If TCU wins and USC wins this coming week, I think Tennessee was going to end up being left out because I think USC would have hopped Tennessee. Tennessee was never going to pass TCU if TCU remained undefeated. And I think Pac-12 champ, one loss, Heisman Trophy winner, USC was going to hop Tennessee with one loss. Yeah. Hey, I want to get uh, Jacqueline's question in here because she said we never answer her questions each week when she asks one. So we're going to get to her question today. Uh, she wanted to know, what do you think the chances are that Jalen Hyatt wins the Bolitnikoff Award and Hendon Hooker makes the Final Four for the Heisman Trophy? I, th- I think Hendon makes the Final Four for the Heisman Trophy. I think he's probably the fourth. Uh, if you said right now who are the four, I would say Caleb Williams. I would say uh, Bryce Young, I'd say C.J. Stroud, and I'd say Hendon Hooker um, because Corum didn't finish out the season. Um, and, you know, uh, I think had he had, he had it had done that and Michigan won, I think you're looking – if he has those runs against Ohio State, then you're looking at him potentially being the Heisman front runner at this point. But uh, I think he, he Hendon can be that fourth person in New York. Uh, as for Jalen Hyatt, I think it will go to Marvin Harrison off the name and, uh, you know, you know, Marvin's had a really good year, so let's, let's not make it out that it's his just name. But I think that that puts him over the top uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I think the one thing that's interesting with the Heisman finalist, Eric, is is where is where is Robinson at Texas? You know, uh, does he pop up in there in any way, shape, or form because it, it's quarterback heavy? Um, I, I think Hendon Hooker is going to get a lot of vote. You know, a lot of favor from people in the south because i don't think there's a clear-cut south candidate he was by far mm-hmm. the, the the south candidate i guess you got you got young in there but i don't i don't know that he's going to draw um the votes that he's drawn in the past i think he i think he's had a terrific year because i don't think his cast around him is nearly as good as a year ago uh, but but that, that'll be interesting to see if there's a guy who kind of pops up here um out of the blue I, I don't see it so i would tend to agree with austin but i, I think you know, be interesting to see if Robinson at Texas gets any kind of, you know, any kind of momentum here to, to head into to, to New York, if that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Um, I could see that for sure. Because, again, this year there's not a – because the Heisman voting relies so heavily on win-loss record as well. And so, you know, C.J. Stroud's got a loss. Hendon Hooker's got two losses. Bryce Young's got two losses. Uh, Corum did finish out the year. Of course, Corum's team had the biggest win. So – um, it's going to be interesting. I, I could see Hendon Hooker definitely being a finalist more this week than I really than honestly could last week. As far as the Blitnikoff, you know, you, you brought up Marvin Harrison Jr. and I'm with you, man. That's a name. Everybody talks about, talks about Marvin Harrison Jr. plays for Ohio State. He's got a good quarterback and all that. But I mean, you break down the stats, and a guy like Jalen Hyde has more receiving yards. He's got uh, five less reception. He's got three more touchdowns. Nathaniel Dell from Houston, who, in my opinion, will not win it. Uh, he's tied for the you know country's lead with 15 touchdowns. He's got more receiving yards than Jalen Hyatt, but he's got almost 45 more receptions, uh, you know, north of Hyatt. So it'll be interesting. I think Jalen Hyatt is very deserving to win that Bolitnikov. He has been fantastic this year, but name weight carries a lot, and Marvin Harrison Jr. does have that. Uh, Austin David Hobbs commits to the University of Tennessee. Adds more validity, validity to this class. The second five star is a big day for Tennessee on Friday evening. Yeah, it was a big, uh, big addition for Rodney Garner and company. Um, before we go back, go with you further. I do want to look at you know Bijan Robinson. 
got 1,580 yards, 18 touchdowns on the year. They get 29 on 12 carries against TCU. Kind of their marquee, one of their marquee games. And he just was, and he was not great against Alabama either. Uh, either way, um, I don't think he's going to win it, but I think there's, I, I would not rule out a chance of him being one of the four finalists. He's not going to win the trophy. No, no, no. I know I that's what you're making. Four quarterbacks is my point. Oh, no, no, no. I, I understood your argument. I understood your, 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 your thought line of thinking. I was just looking at, you know, does that, has he done enough in big games to even warrant being there? Maybe um, the TCU game stands out, but either way, it doesn't matter. So, uh, uh, you know, David Hobbs, huge, huge pickup for Rodney Garner, huge pickup for Josh Heupel, second five-star in the class. Um, more importantly, Hubbard, D lineman, man. I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee's you know, lineman tackles, whether it be offensive tackles, defensive tackles, those those don't grow on trees. And, and you had a guy that, you know, can play – Strong side DN could slide inside and play tackle as he continues to put on uh, good college weight and uh, you know a freak athlete. You know he played a lot of tight end there. Um, you know was a basketball player, uh, great feet, uh, soft hands. Um, you know I just I, I think his best football is ahead of him. I, I don't think he's really ever committed himself to football until like the last six months when he realized, oh, this is actually where you know. I'm going to actually, you know, make my money, you know, doing this versus, you know, playing hoops uh, as a North Carolina kid. Um, and uh, I think that he's he's only going to get better. Well, and the thing I like about that one, and, and I think the significance of that one is Tennessee was behind. Tennessee was playing catch up in that deal. And they had to overcome some things early uh, this summer with him. And uh, they, Rodney Garner and, and, and Coach Chop and, and Josh Heupel, obviously made him a priority when he felt that way. He really bonded with his coaching staff, but there was a period of time he didn't feel that way. And, and typically you have a hard time winning those Austin when, yeah. when you feel like you're behind like that heading into the fall. So a heck of a job recruiting by this staff to, to do that. And look, they, they got, I mean, not lucky, but the, the, the visits fell right for them, which was a good thing as well. But I, you got to give that staff a lot of credit because they were playing some serious catch up in August, in my opinion. They were. And honestly, had they pulled the trigger way earlier, I think he would have been committed a long time. But I think for Tennessee, it works out better they didn't because you were able to still land him. And there he was down the stretch. You're picking Tennessee or you're picking Tennessee over Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, these are all teams that are. Com, you know, competing to be in the playoff that are, you know, top seven or eight in the college football playoff rankings. I think that's a huge coup for Tennessee from a recruiting standpoint, from a from a view, how, you know, from a thousand feet above, how, how the optics of it all. Um, like I said, I think had Tennessee offered back last February, he would have been committed to Tennessee this summer. And it wouldn't have been this, you know, big addition late by picking Tennessee over these teams that you, you know, want to routinely – uh, you know, compete against uh, if you're the balls. And again, in terms of environment, energy, juice, he was here for Tennessee beat Florida. He yep. was here with Tennessee uh, beat Alabama. And again, you, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, no recruits going to pick Tennessee on one win or one loss, but just everything that was that environment for those two games, as Brent said, it was kind of perfect. Hey, we're up against it real quick. Justin did want to know, and I, I saved it for you to get on here, Austin. Latest with Elijah Davis, Arian Carter. Is he pretty much a Bama lock? He is coming back here in December. Yeah, he'll be here this weekend for his official visit. Um, I'll be quick and brief. Elijah Davis, uh, Tennessee's still deep in that one. Um, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, come off his visit on the 10th, you know, kind of where they are. But he talks to Rodney Garner a ton. 
Uh, Arian Carter will visit this weekend. He was just at the Iron Bowl, going back to Alabama the 10th. So I understand that Alabama lean, I would definitely say that. Uh, but this weekend can turn things, you know, um, if, if he gets down here and, and really feels a good vibe. Again, he's going to take an official visit with his seven-on-seven teammates, you know, Caleb Herring being one of them. There are people he knows on this roster. I think that can help Tennessee. We'll see how that goes, uh, you know, uh, again, recruiting prediction machine. Alabama is definitely the favorite. I wouldn't call them 97.4%. Tennessee's not even on that. But, you know, it, it's Tennessee and Alabama, you know, for that for that guy. The guys, get ready. You guys need to go get a good night's rest, get a good night's sleep, because when the portal opens up here in about a week, it's going to be a no sleep December for everybody. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, and we're going to go a little overtime here for a couple of minutes, but because everybody's talking about the mass chaos that this is getting ready to be. Austin, is it going to be the mass chaos that yes. everybody thinks that it's going to be? Or is this going to be a situation where a lot of guys are putting feelers out there, say they're going to go in the portal, see what's available for them? Because, listen, it's free agency. All these guys in the portal are looking for NIL money. And, and some guys get their bluff called a little bit, or maybe it's not what they thought it was going to be. There's not going to be available for them. And, and a good number of these guys end up going back to their school? Or do you think it's going to be the mass chaos that a lot of people have talked about for, for several months now? I think it's going to be mass chaos. You think that really guys are moving? I think there's going to be some of the instances that you're talking about where guys don't really want to leave, but they're going to kind of, you know, behind the scenes, hey, man, this school's called, that school's called, pony up, or I'm going to go. And then you're going to see some schools call some bluffs. Um and then we'll see what happens if those kids return or not. So I do think what you're what you're insinuating is something that we'll see some of. But I also think you're going to see. I think there's going to be a couple of big time quarterbacks that move around. Um, you know, I, I continue to hear a certain big timer in the ACC could be on the move, and we'll see if that happens. Uh, you know, would make some sense. Um, you know, but th- this thing's going to be wild um, this whole off season and. Uh, especially the next three or four weeks. And if you're not kind of going ahead and figuring some things out there, um, you know, behind the scenes, then I'd say you're not going to land too many kids. So I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this plays out and how quick uh, all the schools can kind of adapt to this, this new crazy time of year. It is definitely a new era of college football. Got to have all your ducks in a row. And the season's not officially over because, again, there's still a bowl game, but you're now transitioning into uh, a different wave of covering this football team. But, hey, it's been fun. Tennessee caps off the regular season 56 to nothing, shutout fashion, rebounding from the loss against South Carolina. You got continual coverage of it, VolQuest.com. Everything you want to know about that matchup all week long. We'll have great stuff on the site again, VolQuest.com, about a potential transfer portal targets, uh, NFL early draft ease, that type of stuff. All that and more coming up on the website, and you can get a subscription to VolQuest.com from now until kickoff 2023 for only $10. Text your buddies, tell your family and friends, $10, VolQuest.com from now until kickoff 2023, an incredible deal. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your questions right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Like this video and subscribe to the YouTube channel for VolQuest. For Eric Kane, that's me, Brent Hubbs, Austin Price. Trey, thank you for all your work. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week for another edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.